Welcome to the Metaphorist's Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is The Final Face by Nora Lovelock. Nora Lovelock is a speculative fiction writer from Manchester, UK. Find them online at nora.love. That's N-O-R-A-H dot L-O-V-E. Let's jump in. There were 17 people left between Dia and the end of her commission. Failed colonies were too expensive to run, difficult to maintain, and so her commission had sent her here to collect up the stragglers, put them into cryo, and take them back to the homeworlds. FC-3-268B, dubbed Rija by the locals, was the last planet on her very long list. There were 17 people left for her to collect. And when it was over, she'd have to return to Central. She was old and damaged. She could make an educated enough guess. They'd decommission her. Upload her memories to some storage somewhere and forget she ever existed. The fate of most custodians. Useless until they weren't. This colonist's house was away from the others. Against the general backdrop of neglect, it was stark in its upkeep. The front door was painted in an obnoxiously bright yellow, the brickwork repaired instead of crumbling. Dead bushes wilted below its wide bay windows. Dia gave herself a moment. She was tired. She had done this thousands of times, yet it never grew easier. Then, finally, when she could wait no longer, she stepped close and knocked. It took a minute before it opened. A pair of eyes squinted suspiciously at her from the narrow crack between the wood and the frame. Then the stranger noted the ruins of Dia's faceplate, her torn plastic skin and exposed, stained circuitry, and said conversationally, You look like shit, don't you? Dia did look like shit. It had been a long time since she'd had maintenance beyond what she could do for herself. Working on planets several hundred light years away from Central did that to a robot. Her plastic skin had been torn by a particularly aggressive mammal on a desert planet her faceplate ripped out by a colonist with a vendetta. Once, she might have been able to disguise herself as human, convince the humans, as immoral as it was, that she could understand their plight, making it easier to take them to the sleep ship. Maybe, and the thought alone felt traitorous, she might have been able to run, find a nearby space station, hide herself among the humans, as innocuous and invisible as any of them. Maybe it was a childish dream. Sometimes it felt like it was all she had. But her visible circuitry betrayed her, and there was no way for her to repair herself. She would have to wait until she returned to Central to see what they'd do to her. Thank you, she said dryly, inclining her head. The humans never greeted her warmly. May I come in? I'm a custodian. I'm here to help. After another moment of suspicious squinting, the woman pulled the door open wider and stepped aside. All right. The house was cluttered. The walls were filled with photos, competing for space against frame prints, children's drawings pinned into the drywall. Belongings filled every empty surface. Magazines, crocheted pillowcases, blankets, coasters. Considering how beloved the woman appeared, it was fascinating that she lived here, alone in this big house, removed from the rest of the remaining colonists. The woman led her through the chaos to an equally chaotic kitchen where she sat at the table. 
After a moment of deliberation, Dia sat too. I'm Dia. What's your name? Alma, the woman said, leaning forward, elbows on her thighs. You here to convince me to leave then? Homeworld's decided that Raija isn't worth supplying anymore? Dia immediately knew this was not a conversation she could win. Her spiel had been ready. Her polite, well-practiced, I'm a custodian from Central. Due to cost-cutting measures, we're asking the residents of Raija to relocate back to the homeworlds via sleepship. You can choose to stay, but the food packets will stop, and you'll be disconnected from the network. Alma had beaten her to the punch. No, she demurred. I'm just wondering who'd want to stay behind. Alma snorted. Only ever known this place, haven't I? She'd heard that excuse hundreds, thousands of times before. It was no longer compelling. You are aware that Central will set you up on whichever of the homeworlds you'd prefer? That you'll be cut off from food packets in the network? Of course. I don't want to leave, though. I'm not going to pack all my stuff. And, waving an expansive hand, it was clear she had a lot of it. Into a suitcase for the sake of some mandate I didn't even choose? Dia still asked the question, as rote as it had become. Don't you have people who care about you? Friends who will miss you if you stay behind? Alma scoffed. Ain't no one here who gives a damn about me. It felt like a lie, but Dia didn't know enough to argue. She didn't want to argue. She wanted to leave. I take it I won't be able to convince you. No, Alma said sharply. Then she paused, her lips twitching with sudden mirth, and added, And anyway, I like the weather. There wasn't any weather to like. Raija was a miserable planet. The buildings were gray, the scant vegetation was muted and dull. Only far out at sea did the planet gain color, the deep green of algae the planet's primary source of oxygen. And here, beside the shuttle, the rest of the town was collapsing into the ocean. From afar, the tide was foam-tipped. Closer, just below where Dia stood, the waves gnawed hungrily at the ruins of houses. Overhead, it was drizzling. Fine, thin, terrible stuff that made her want to shield her ripped forehead with her hand to try and stop the water from reaching her electronics. Trust her final assignment to be on a wet planet. With her broken faceplate, it was the last thing she needed. Hello, a voice called. Are you from Central? She turned. It was a family. Three adults and infant huddled against the rain. Her processor sparked with recognition. She'd seen them on the info sent from Central. We saw the shuttle, one of them said, his eyes roaming her face. You've brought a sleep ship, haven't you? I have, she said gently. It was up in orbit, waiting for its final passengers. You want to go up? They did. Once the humans and their luggage were inside, Dia set the autopilot, leaned back in the pilot seat, and watched out the window as the planet grew small beneath them. Her thoughts drew back to Alma. Alma, who seemed so bizarrely possessive of this ugly backwater planet. Sure, it had a breathable atmosphere, but that was hardly rare. Even from the sky, it was monochrome. Only as they entered orbit did it gain beauty. The gray cut by great swaths of white cloud. The ocean revealed to be swirls of deep navy and dark green. 
She couldn't help her cynicism. The miracle of orbit could make anything beautiful. And in orbit, too, was the sleep ship, dignified against the backdrop of stars. In the back, the humans were talking, nervous but quiet. She'd be nervous, too, if she were human. Inside the sleep ship, there were rows upon rows of cryopods, thousands of them, patiently waiting for the person inside to wake. She had recited her explanation so often that it no longer held meaning. Each pod was a cryosystem. It would freeze them, but would feel like taking a very long and timeless nap. And when they woke up, they'd be in central. They were scared. They also couldn't go back now. When all were all settled, she sealed the pods. On her custodian note, she set the countdown and the commands, watched as the drugs kicked in, and one by one as they fell asleep. Eventually, the lights in their pods turned off. They began to freeze. When she had first received this sleep ship, she had been a different custodian with a different name. The ship had been empty. She'd been excited. And now she'd sat through near a thousand cycles of travel, been to deserts and mountains, valleys and moons, and all she wanted now was to go back to Central. She didn't want to care if they decommissioned her. Not anymore. She wanted this done. She wanted to rest. Without any humans around, the room slipped into darkness to conserve energy. She didn't bother wishing them sweet dreams. They couldn't hear her anymore. She took the shuttle back planetside. There were just three families left. Two bigger families and Alma. The thought of collecting them exhausted her, but the end was in sight. According to the intel she'd been given via custodian node, and she did not envy whichever custodian had been tasked with reconnaissance, the families occupied a single row of houses, well kept in comparison to the abandoned building. Despite the drizzle, she went on foot, angling her head down to try and keep her internal components dry. Whoever had done recon had done a good job, because they were right. Three terraced houses huddled together against the long row, the front gardens over full with exotic fauna, bright orange, luminous purple, stark in the gloom. And Alma was outside. She was leaning against the doorframe, chatting to a man inside, her tone light and cheerful. It was awfully coincidental that Alma had claimed no one here liked her, yet here she was, conversational, warm. Then she turned and her expression narrowed. Here to spirit this family away too, then. No, Dia said, and pressed her hand against her still-attached forehead plate to try and shield the worst of the rain. They went voluntarily. Only because you bullied them into it. The man interjected with a valiant, Alma, don't be mean to it. But it was clear Alma would not be deterred. She waved her hand at him, scowling. Go look after the kids, Mailer. Tell them I'll give them electronics classes next week, if you're still here. Dia wanted to retort with something sharp, that keeping them here would serve no purpose but their deaths, that Alma's determination to stay didn't grant her the right to trap everyone else here, too, that it certainly was strange that no one cared for her, but she was giving electronics classes. Then the feeling faded. Arguing wouldn't help. It very rarely did. Alma turned on her heel and began to make her way down the road. Dia paused, then deciding Mailer was a future problem, followed. She fell into step. Electronics classes. 
Alma shot her a sharp glance. None of your business. I never suggested it was, she responded, purposefully mild. You don't have to tell me anything you don't want to. That earned her another sidelong glare. And then, after a moment of silence, a sigh. <sighs> Long time ago, I used to be a custodian technician. A technician? They were rare to find outside of the central homeworlds, near impossible to find on any of the planets Dia had ever been deployed to. Hope, sudden and terrible, rose in her chest. Maybe there were options beyond decommission. You could replace my faceplate. Alma stopped walking. She stared up at her, squinting through the rain, the droplets catching on her lashes. Why do you think I'd help you out? It felt so obvious to say it was nearly painful. I need help, and you're the first technician I've encountered. Obviously, Alma grumbled. I just don't know why you're coming to me. We're not friendly. They weren't. But right now, that didn't matter. Because Alma had something Dia needed. Needed so desperately her electronics ached with it. What do you want from me in exchange? I don't want anything from you. She began to walk, expecting Dia to fall back into step, then said tightly, Fine, I'll do it. How bad's the damage on your internal circuitry? It was that easy? And she didn't even want anything in exchange? Dia spoke quickly before either of them could change their minds. I can't smile properly, but I'm sure you've already noticed that. Anything else I wouldn't be too sure about. Thought you new models could self-diagnose. I'm not a new model, she said wryly. Can you do it or not? Of course I can do it. Alma said it quickly, like it was a point of pride. She pushed open her front door, stepped inside, then turned to survey Dia properly. A long, slow look up and down. All right. My workshop's in the basement, and it's drier down there than up here. She had been expecting a small workshop, maybe enough for a single table, some spare parts. She hadn't been expecting a full workroom. There was a table in the center for the custodian to lie on, whilst the walls were lined with shelves containing every part Dia knew she contained, and then some. Out here, so far from Central, there surely weren't enough custodians to warrant this level of setup. Raija was a backwater planet in a backwater system. While custodians were everywhere, there couldn't ever have been enough work to be able to make it into her a career. She turned to Alma, eyebrow raised. You've been hiding this down here? Not hiding, she retorted, but folded her arms and shifted her weight. Everyone already knows. Kept up with it even after I retired. She looked back at Dia, then said, Kurt, the faceplates are up there. Choose one. She did as instructed, depositing options on the table, trying to hide her delight. She could be whole once again. There were faces of every size and shape, coloring and structure. Brown-eyed, purple-eyed, freckled or scarred or neither, or both. With every face, Potential opened before her. She plucked through them until one felt right, dark-eyed and dark-skinned, similar to the plastic skin on the rest of her body. This one, she said, and pressed her finger to feel the way its, soon to be her, cheek compressed. She looked up at Alma. Do I want to know how you got it? 
Alma plucked it up in deft hands. I bought it. Her fingers skated along its still cheek. Some deep tenderness shone through in her face, enough to wipe away her sullenness. But when she looked at Dia, she was surly once more. Do you want to power off? It'll be uncomfortable if you stay awake. I don't mind. Lie down, Alma instructed. She turned away to a metal chest of drawers to bring out her tools. Dia lay. The table was cool against her back and neck, but not unpleasantly so. She couldn't see what Alma was doing, but she had been repaired enough to take a guess at what she could hear. Alma was pulling out a wheeled stool to perch on, the way the metal bolts and screws clinked against each other as she plucked them out of the drawers and into tiny bowls. She got out a drill and a set of screwdriver attachments, prepared a cotton swab and rubbing alcohol. Finally, she was ready. Alma flicked on lights bright enough to blind a human. Are you sure about this? Well, it wasn't like she could mess Dia's face up any further. She shut her eyes. Yes. Alma began by unscrewing something below Dia's chin, soft skin against her sensors, and then those same hands darted up, unscrewing something else near her temple. The touch was overwhelming, too fast for her to meaningfully process. Fingers on the wires in her face, knuckles against the inside of her skull. And Dia knew she didn't need to breathe, but it left her breathless anyway. The terrible intimacy of it. This woman inside her, taking her apart. Then, finally, a part of her face came away. She heard it hitting the little table next to her, metal and cold. Next, she knew, would come the specific servos to support the musculature of the face she'd once worn the tiny processor that made it move. She hadn't expected Alma to need to wriggle it out. Every careful nudge of those fingers felt like an earthquake. It left her tense, every fiber of her locked into stillness. Alma's knuckles warm against the inside of her face. That terrible face. The one she hated to have, hated to see. The touch burning like fire. Are you alright? Alma asked, voice low. I'm about halfway through. Do you need a break? I'm fine, she said. Her voice, the traitor, didn't even quiver. Are you okay to keep going? Alma paused. Yes, she said finally, and the wriggling resumed. Dia lay there and tried not to move, tried not to use her processor in thinking how Alma's hands were so hot inside of her, removing and discarding the parts of her that no longer functioned. And then, quite suddenly, it was too much. This room, the overhead lights, the feeling of someone poking at the exposed parts of herself. I need a break, she breathed, and this time her voice shook. I'm almost done, Alma groused. She wriggled the processor sharply, and Dia stopped processing data entirely. And then, finally, it came out, and Alma's hands withdrew, and Dia could think again. She sat up, jerking up without the excess weight of her broken faceplate, itching all deep inside like a wound she couldn't touch. Alma didn't even have the grace to look at her. She was poking the ancient parts on the tray, turning them this way and that. I hope I didn't ruin any of the prongs, she murmured to herself. She glanced up at Dia and, with characteristic brusqueness, said, Lie down again. We're not done. Need to put the new one on. Could Dia lie down? Could she tolerate even a moment more of that touch? So terribly invasive? 
she wasn't sure, but she had to. Walking around with no faceplate would be worse than a broken one. There would be no future for her at all. She forced her body back down onto the table and lay utterly still, not even letting her hands clench into fists. But what had been difficult was now easy. She kept an eye on her internal chronometer as Alma worked, watching the minutes count down. Alma did the same in reverse to the new face, attached the processor, plugged in the circuit boards and servos, and made it align with the rest of her head. None of it took very long, even if Alma's hands were burning hot, even if Dia wanted just a little to crawl out of her own skin. Slowly, hyper-aware of her new eyelids, she opened her eyes to let them focus and unfocus. And finally, as Alma cleared off the finishing touches, Dia installed her new drivers. Alma's hands drew away. The overhead light flickered off. There, she said, finally. Quiet. We're done. Dia sat up. The weight of her new face was unfamiliar. A heavier but welcome. When she brought her hand up to touch, there was no longer the tangle of wires and circuits, but flesh. A little cooler than human temperature, but hers. Her nose. Her lips. Want a mirror? Please, Dia begged. Alma held one up for her. If Dia had had a heart, it would have stopped. Because it was her. Dia. But she wore a stranger's face. Unfamiliar, but not for long. She stared at herself and made faces. Stretched her mouth and crinkled her nose in an attempt to remind herself that this was her now. She checked the groove between her neck plate and face plate, and if she hadn't known, wouldn't have been able to tell there was a seam at all. Hope, sudden and terrible, rose in her chest. The suffering felt suddenly worth it, like she had gone through something terrible for something redemptive at the other side. And her discomfort hadn't entirely been Alma's fault. She could allow a little praise. I'm not sure a central technician could have done a better job. Thanks. Alma said, watching Dia's face. Then she turned away, putting away her tools, her shoulders a tense line. Dia got to her face. Even though she knew it may ruin the silent truce between them, she had to ask. You really don't want to go with them? Alma didn't even turn to answer. Go with them where? Some sterile homeworld? Where there's traffic and people and noise? She snorted. I'd rather stay here, thanks, even if that means dying. It was human idiocy of the highest order. The derision. The belief she'd be fine even when Central would essentially starve her out. Stay then, Dia said, and took the stairs two at a time in leaving. The man Alma had spoken to, Mailer, caught her on her way back to the shuttle. Custodian, he barked. He was heedless to her anger. Yes? He paused, fixated on her new face for a split second before he said, We're leaving. Network's been turned off, and I suppose we didn't realize what we were signing ourselves up for. He grimaced. Humans really did love to revel in their own misery. She wished she had that luxury. All the rest of us are coming, apart from... Yeah, Dia snarled. I'm aware. We want her to come. It's convincing her that's the problem, he said, shrugging. 
She knew what a good custodian would do. She would go back to Alma, explain to her, softly and patiently, that everyone else was leaving, and hope that it would jolt her into leaving too. Dia would point out that they did care about her. Maybe she'd even get Mailer's children to come along. She wasn't above emotional blackmail. But Dia wasn't a particularly good custodian. She didn't want to face Alma's grumpy expression, her short words. She wasn't sure she had the patience. Some spiteful part of her wanted to leave Alma here, wanted her to stay here, alone, and understand just the choice she was making. But mostly, it sounded like too much work. All right, she said instead, of something tight and unkind. I'll take the rest of you up in the morning. You've got tonight to pack, to say goodbye. He nodded. Thanks. Maybe he meant it. It rained that evening, hard and heavy. She sat in the shuttle and listened to it thunder on the roof. Once, she would have been forced to worry about the electronics in her face degrading. Now, she didn't have to worry at all. That didn't mean she was happy about it. At least the colonist situation was improving. She'd be able to round them all up before her final due date. Bar Alma, of course, who would stay unless Dia convinced her otherwise and Alma would stay alone if she had to. Her chronometer told her it was dawn when she heard a knock on the shuttle door. She slid it open to reveal the rest of the families, carrying suitcases and pet carry cages and whatever else they needed to bring with them. She ferried them up, settling them into their sleep pods, and they went easily, painlessly. She drank in the sight of them as they shut their eyes and dreamt of whatever world they'd wake up in. And then, finally, she was alone, and Dia could put it off no longer. She landed the shuttle near Alma's house, because now there was no need for politeness. The drizzle had stopped, the air thick and gray, and she walked through it and felt the rain smudge against her face, whole once more. She could have knocked, she didn't bother. Instead, she pushed the yellow front door open, wiping her shoes on the mat, and stepped inside. Alma? A low grumble. Then, I'm in the kitchen. It was just as cluttered as her previous visits. No attempt had been made to clean, to bring away things Alma might want to transport with her. She was ferociously stacking plates, her shoulders drawn. I'm going, Dia said simply, and I'm taking everyone else with me. For a second, Alma paused, and then her expression narrowed. She ever so carefully put down the plate, almost soundless on the counter. Her voice was poisonous. You don't understand. It was an absurd, impossible claim. However old Alma was, Dia was far older. At least I understand how short-sighted you are. You could teach the kids electronics classes anywhere. Short-sighted. Alma laughed unhappily. (laughs) No, really. It's you who doesn't understand and she stepped forward and took Dia's hand in her own, and between them, a custodian note flared to life. Dia froze. Data flickered through her, images layered upon images. Alma's deployment here generations ago. Raija had swelled and swelled with more and more people who accepted her, universally, unilaterally, as human. How terrifying that had been. How wonderful. 
and how she'd had to hide, how she'd been able to confide in only a few, but how that was rare, how she had learned to maintain her own faceplate, do her own updates, because otherwise someone would work it out. They'd tell Central, and she'd have to return to the hell that was custodian work. How she didn't want that. How she'd rather stay here, alone, rot and fade and disappear, than return to the purgatory of reality. Or at least at first. How the days had become monotonous without something to structure them. How alone she was around humans, hiding amongst them, unable to relate to them, unable to have them relate to her in turn. Thea's broken face at Alma's front door and Alma's terror at knowing she was going to be taken back to Central. Dia staggered away. She knew it was programming, knew it was the facsimile of some human emotion, but her knees felt weak with sudden, terrible understanding. You're not... No, Alma said, and her anger had faded to something quiet, something sad. I'm not... She could see no evidence of a seam or seal in Alma's earnest face, although that was the point of them, wasn't it? It was what Dia herself had delighted in scant hours before, that if you didn't already know, there would be no way to tell they were anything other than human. I've maintained myself as best possible with a single pair of hands, Alma continued, and when I saw you, I thought the ruse was up, thought it was all over that you were here to take me back to Central. No, I doubt Central even knows you're here. I thought you were just another human. Her words tumbled out, unwieldy in the wake of her understanding. I mean, now I know. I can leave you here. But Alma shook her head. I'm tired of this. Of hiding from Central. Of being on a backwater planet. Living in fear. Being lonely. I don't want to be this person anymore. Dia didn't say anything. She was tired in a similar way. Tired of being the good custodian. What do you want to do? Alma asked. Because with a second pair of hands, you could change your faceplate too. You wouldn't have to be a custodian anymore. You could disguise yourself as human. Could be anyone you wanted. It was nothing she hadn't thought of before. But somehow Alma saying it made it sound impossible, a reality she'd never be able to achieve. She knew what she wanted. She could feel hope surging up inside her, fragile and tentative. She just didn't know whether it was justified. What do you want to do? Alma paused, then said, I want you to ask the question you need to ask. It was enough to make Dia fumble almost forgetting the point of all this. Will you come up to the sleep ship? Now I know you're not going to tell Central about me? Of course, Alma responded and smiled. The flight that had seemed so boring gained an odd magic with Alma as a passenger. Dia set the autopilot and together they stared out the window. They watched as the ground gave way to the town, then the jub between land and ocean, and finally just cloud cover, Raija no more than a sphere hanging, weightless, in the infinite dark. You all right? Dia asked softly. Fine, Alma said, nodding jerkily. 
What happens when we get up there? I don't know. Dia, she said, and her voice was heavy-weighted. I noticed you didn't answer my question. What do you want to do? The shuttle thrummed as it piloted itself into the sleep ship. What did she want to do? More than anything, she wanted to be honest. I don't want to be a custodian anymore. Saying it aloud was terrible, a truth that felt awful to admit, yet her relief was stronger. I don't know what else I can do, but I don't want to go back to Central. She didn't want to be uploaded onto some databank somewhere, forgotten about, her memories rendered into files. Alma's smile was small and warm, and enough to make Dia surge with sudden, desperate hope. With two of us, we don't have to go back to Central. Being alone and scared was what made me stay. But we could... We could leave, Dia interrupted, her hope turning from a trickle into a waterfall. We could repair each other, cover for each other. I wouldn't have to do this anymore. You wouldn't have to hide on some backwater planet in case Central comes looking. It was like an invisible weight was being removed from her shoulders. She wouldn't have to carry the burden of these people, of their frustration and joy. She'd done her job as best she was able. She hadn't let anyone down. And, most importantly, with Alma's help, she could leave. We should take them most of the way, Dia added. The humans. Let's find a planet, a station even, and set the autopilot to take the humans back to Central. Then we can run. They could hide among the humans, invisible among them. They'd have to be careful, but careful was better than decommissioned. Alma was still grinning. Yeah, all right then, she said, like it was easy. Think I can live with that. Dia knew she didn't have a stomach, just metal and wires, but it flipped anyway. Together, they could be anyone. They'd have to hide from Central, would never be able to stay anywhere long, but she'd been doing that for a long time under their orders. She'd rather do them under her own. Around them, the shuttle fell to silence. Then Dia took a deep, unnecessary breath. The universe was unfurling before her every possibility suddenly within reach. She'd collected the other 16 people from Raja. The 17th was offering her something she hadn't even dared to dream of, an escape from oblivion. Okay, she said, smiling back, wide enough that it near ached. Yes. Okay, let's do it. Let's see what's out there. That was The Final Face by Nora Lovelock. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.com.